talk about leading like Jesus, all right? It's very important, very near and dear to my heart for a simple reason of I spent a lot of my young life wanting to be someone who was leading something, right? Someone who wanted to be in charge of something, somebody who thought it was important to, you know, be somebody. And I worked hard to make that happen, right? So I finished number one in my graduating class, right? Because if you're not first, you're last, right? I <laughs> started managing people when I was 22 years old. For several years, I would manage people, and I was by far the youngest person in the building who was working there. I was finding myself in charge of people who were, you know, 50 and 60 years old at, at, at the restaurant, and it was a little bit weird. Right? Like, they worked at, you know, they had worked at the restaurant longer than I had been alive, but, you know, it's cool. I can tell them what to do. Uh, and I worked really hard at being that person, that leader that I thought was very important. I wanted to be the kind of leader that I always wanted to have, right? We've all had examples of leaders who... Or let's say not great leaders, right? I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to be a great leader. I want to be the type of leader that people want to work for, right? And so I, I lived my life trying to accomplish that, trying, trying to do that. You know, and I do that, we do that with our kids too, right? So we, we find out their goals. We find out what they want to do. And we try to instill on them, okay, hey, what, you want to do this? Well, it's very important that you do X, Y, and Z. And it's not only important that, that, you, that you, if you want to be good at sports, you got you to eat right. You got to work out. You've got to, you know, watch videos on how you can get better. You, get, you can't just do what everybody else does. Because right? if you want to be the best at what you do, then you got to give it more than what everybody else gives. It's not okay just to be better than the guy next to you, but you're going to be the best, right? And we push it. We push it. You got to be the best. You got to do it to your best. Right? You have to be the leader of the group, the pack, or whoever it is. People are going to want to follow you because, hey, this guy, he's doing it right. This girl, she really knows what's going on. She's dedicated. That's a very worldly view of what leadership is. And that's how I lived my life for a long time. So I'm going to share with you a time when I absolutely failed at being a leader. Right? And so I have told you, I've told a lot of people this. I have, I have a 15-year-old son who, for lack of a better term, I call him a social butterfly. Right? He likes to spread his wings and fly every single day. <laughs> He likes to go and do and be and have fun. And so I picked him up from church, nonetheless, right, one night. And we're driving home, and it's just me and him. Now, we, haven't, we don't spend a lot of time together anymore. Back when I was, when he was playing peewee football, we spent like four nights a week together, just me and him. And over a long period of time, that was just the time that we had. We would travel to football games on Saturday, and we'd come back, and my wife was usually either having a baby or just had a baby, so she wasn't really <laughs> up to travel at the time. <laughs> so it was just me and him having conversations, talking about stuff. See, as a dad, I like being a dad. 
That's why I have nine kids. I like kids. Not everybody does. That's okay. Not everyone should have nine kids. I hear you. But I enjoy it. I like spending time with my kids. And so we're, we're coming home, right? And we've been in the car three minutes. The night before, we had spent like an hour together, eating dinner, watching a show, talking. I was like, oh, this is nice. Haven't done this in a while. And I was under the impression, silly me, we were going to do that again that night. I did not remember that my son is a social butterfly. And two nights in a row at home is too, too many. <laughs> so we're in the car on the way home. Hey, can I go to my friend's house and go swim? A certain level of disappointment. I'm like, Ugh. and I, I kind of got a little aggravated. I'm not going to lie. It's like, dude, you're gone all the time, blah, blah, blah. You need to be home. And which then he says, Dad, I'm only 15. In 15 years, I'm going to be 30. <laughs> Strike one, all right? <laughs> That's not such a bad thing. <laughs> you're wiser when you're 30, I promise you that. <laughs> kind of let that one go. <laughs> and then he said something to me that really hit and obviously kind of made me mad. And he said, what does it matter when I'm home? Because you're always on your phone anyway. That's painful. As a dad, you get a little angry. You know, you go through that typical, hey, you're the kid, I'm the parent, don't tell me what I do with my time, blah, blah, blah. You're just all in my head, just all these things that I can say. You don't know what I deal with during the day, blah, blah, blah. I'm this leader who's blah, 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 and I got all this stress and all this pressure and all this crap, and I get home and just want to unplug, da, da, da. But what really got me was there was a lot of truth to that, right? Because that perception is his reality, and that's what he sees. And so I start thinking the limited amount of time that he's home, this is what he sees. And that's hard. For someone who's prided himself on being a leader and someone who likes to be a father, now all of a sudden you're dealing with things you're not really leading or you're leading in the wrong direction. Now, we can talk about social media all day long, and there are things about social media, and I get it, and everybody has a different reason and looking at it and viewing it, and it is a time to... It's not the end-all, be-all of everything that's wrong in the world. It's the distraction of today. There was a different distraction yesterday. It's the distraction of today. It requires nothing of us but to sit and be distracted. And it's super convenient now, right? I mean, because, like, everyone can have a different device, and you can all choose your level of distraction, right? You're not all fighting over the one TV. It's like, how are we going to distract ourselves today? Well, I want to watch this show. Well, I want to watch this show. Well, I want to watch this show. Everybody can get their own distraction and fulfill their own needs to just not interact. You know, it's crazy because you think about social media, right? And so I do that sometimes. And I think about, you know, it's a platform that's based on what they call influencers, right? And what's their goal? To attract followers. 
their goal, the more followers they get, the more they can influence, the more money they make, right? They want to influence you to do certain things, buy certain products, be blah, blah, blah. And they do it through getting your attention and through showing you different things. And it's crazy the way we just allow it to come in. And it's crazy the way we just allow ourselves to be distracted. And it's so simple. Be like, well, I follow this person because, you know, they travel the world and they've seen all these things. They know all these things. You know, and I was writing this stuff down and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking in my head, oh my goodness. You can follow someone who's traveled the world and seen all these things, so they must know a lot. Or you can follow the one who created the world. You can follow the one who lives outside of time, who knows past, present, and future. Or someone say, you know, I follow, I say this because, you know, it goes along with the way I want to say it. So I follow, you know, the basketball all-star, King James, that's what he calls himself. He's no Michael Jordan, but, you know, he does call himself King James. That's for all you young people. Yeah. And you can follow King James or you can follow the King of Kings. You can follow the Lord of Lords. You can follow the Prince of Peace. You can follow the great I am. But we find ourselves to be able to get into a world where we're distracted. And that level of distraction is what kept me from being the leader that I'm called to be. Because instead of spending time and teaching and talking and learning and loving with what I think is the most important thing we can leave, which is our family. What I do is show everybody it's okay to have your own level of distraction. You know, I'm a big proponent of if you're going to do something, then do it. Right? I tell my football kids in Wee football all the time, hey, you know what? If you're going to come to practice and you're going to be here, then be here. Right? I think church and anything else we do is the same way. If you're going to come to church and we don't come just to sit here on Sunday and listen and go home and do and go about our way, we come here to experience a relationship with God and be changed forever. You can't come into his presence and leave the same. You just don't. The presence of God changes us as we listen and receive his word and receive the message that he has for us today. We are here, then let's be here. So we're going to look at some different ways of being a leader, some different things that I think are important as far as leading goes. All right. I even have notes for you today. Be shocked. Not great at notes. So the number one way we've got to lead is got to lead through compassion. 
There's a reason I laugh at leading through compassion. It's not exactly my strong suit. And I'll tell you why. So listen, I grew up and I lived a lot of my life as, hey, you know what? You don't like your situation, then change it. That's how I've done it. That's how I believed it. I was like, hey, there's going to be things that happen in your life. Man, I tell you what, I'm going to be completely honest, that's just going to suck. You move on, move forward, do something different. You don't like how much money you make, get a different job. Right? Work two jobs. I've done it. And the thing is, is that I've been in situations where I didn't like what I was doing, and I made a decision to change it. And so throughout my life, my thought was, hey, if that's what you want to do, then do it. But don't whine to me about it. Literally, I had said that. Right? Don't whine to me about it. I took a test for work, right? We had to do a personality test. All the managers at work had to do a personality test. It's called the Berkman test, right? And it color codes you. Yellow, blue, green, and all these yellow, blue, green people are like, you know, compassionate, loving, well-planned, thinking all these things through. And then it had red. Right here. Red is give me the facts. This is what's broken. Let's fix it. Right? That's me. Part of the test was empathy. Okay? The lady who was giving us the training went around the room was saying, okay, hey, so-and-so, what's your score on empathy? And it's like, oh, out of 100, this person got like a 75. Oh, you know, that's good, yeah. Next person, what's your score on empathy? Out of 100, I think they got like a 63, right? Then there was a person next to me who was also a red. Like, there was, there's three different categories, and so he was like yellow, blue, and like one of them was red. I'm like, okay, I was straight red all the way down. So I'm like, okay, maybe this guy, right? It's like, what's your empathy? And he was like, you know, 53. And he's like, okay, cool. My turn. She's like, Josh, your empathy. And then she looked down, and she didn't, didn't do anything. And then she just looked up and looked at me very like, huh? And then she made the statement, I've never seen this before. <laughs> one. <laughs> I was one out of a hundred. I might have answered her question wrong. I don't know. <laughs> one. So I get when you hear compassion, you're like, oh. Compassion comes from the Latin root word, which literally means suffer with. That's what it means, suffer with. It means we see people in the middle of their junk, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their grief, in the middle of whatever's going on in their own personal life. And we see it. And we don't just feel bad for them. But we step in there and we suffer with them. That's, it. That's compassion. And that is hard. Because that's real life stuff where things get messy. But if you look at Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38. 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He looked at people who looked lost, and he had compassion for them. They need a shepherd. They need a leader. There's not enough people to step in and lead these people. We're supposed to lead with compassion. When was the last time we sat back and just looked at people who were lost and just had compassion for them? When's the last time we were like, God, just break my heart for the people who are lost. Give me an opportunity to tell them about the redemptive power and the love of Christ. Matthew 14, verse 13 through 16. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away. They may go to villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Amen. Understand that when we have compassion, Real compassion, we suffer with people. It stirs something up inside of us to do something. Not to be like, ah, eh, man, they're going to be hungry. I got to go to the house. <laughs> it's like these people are traveling and they need to eat, and I'm going to stay here with them as long as it takes, and we're going to feed them. When we lead with compassion and we notice that, we got to do something. Luke 7, 12 through 15. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Just kidding. He had compassion on her and said to her, do not Weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. In those other two passages, people came, multitudes came to Jesus for healing. Multitudes came to Jesus and he had compassion on them. Jesus was standing at the city streets at the gates and they were bringing out a dead person. And he saw the mother, the widow, who had no one else. And he was moved with compassion.
You guys have to understand, as followers of Christ, if you follow someone, you are really submitting yourself to your leader. You are submitting to the leader. Because the leader is the example. You're saying, I'm going to follow this person. And it is clear that Jesus was a leader with compassion. Who cared about people at the worst time in their lives. And did something. You're not going to come by it just because you will yourself to have compassion. I'm a living example that that doesn't work. <laughs> I found myself at times young in my career sitting there thinking, man, I'm really going to listen to their problems and I'm going to care. <laughs> and halfway through their problem, I'm thinking, man, what do I got to do? I think I got a phone call in 30 minutes I got to take. Not engaged at all. Having compassion like, like Jesus had compassion is not something that's going to be normal for us. Because believe it or not, Jesus was better than us. <laughs> he lived a life free of sin. And he was God in the flesh. Okay, if you compare yourself to him on the level of compassion, you will fail every time, but you have to be aware. And you have to understand that Jesus can give you more compassion for others than you will ever be able to do on your own. Have you ever found yourself, this is, this is great because I thought about this the other day, have you ever found yourself sitting back and thinking of things that you've gone through in your past, right? Hard times that you've gone through in your past. And you're sitting there and you're thinking about, man, I don't know, like in the middle of it, like you sit there and it rolls back in your head in the middle of it, you think, man, God, why? while you're in it, you're like, God, why am I going through this? Like while you're in it, you're like, God, why, why do I have to sit there in this pain or this torment or why do I have to watch and be a part of this sickness or this death. And they're like, why? Why am I going through so much pain right now? And if we could just sit there now and be those compassionate leaders that God's called us to be, don't you think that maybe, just maybe, God's like, you're going to use that. And you're going to use the compassion that I put in your heart. And this person who's going through this exact same thing, this person who's going through a personal hell that they don't understand, you're going to carry some buckets of water over there and put out those flames and show them that Jesus is still there. Amen. That Jesus is still in control. You've gone through some stuff. And when you are compassionate and caring about other people, you can use those. To show them it ain't over. It may hurt right now, but it ain't over. Because the glory comes in the morning. Amen. 
The next way we lead is by living on a mission. So I'm going to have to speed up. No, I'm not going to speed up. It'll be fine. Living on a mission. I really like to go back to, you know, well back before when children's ministry, when we first started, we used to call it uh, Project 249, right? Which comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 49, right? When Jesus' family left him in Jerusalem, right? They didn't know, but they just left. You ever lost a kid? Absolutely. <laughs> I will let you know that the, the more that number increases, so does the likelihood that you're going to lose one, all right? Buddy system sometimes fails because the older kids think they got other things to do. I have a whole story for that, but I don't have time. All right. So Luke 2.49. So they leave and they come back to Jerusalem. And they find Jesus sitting amongst the teachers. They're like, hey, Jesus, dude, we left. <laughs> Gone for a whole day. What are you doing? Paraphrasing a little bit. All right. It's not exactly in the scripture. He says, hey, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Amen. Jesus had a mission. He was put on the earth for a reason. He was here for a purpose. And his purpose was to be about his father's business, to fulfill and to be who we needed him to be, to have a relationship with God. That's why he came, right? God's like, I see these people that I love. I see these children that don't know me, and I have to reconcile the sin in their lives. And that's what Jesus did, was reconcile the sin in our lives, and he lived every day on that mission to spread the gospel of who he was, what he was doing, who God was, and gave his life because that's what he was here to do. The thing is, you also have a mission because you also have a purpose from God during this short time that we have here on this earth. It's not Groundhog Day, right? You don't just get up and go through the motions every single day and then go to sleep and then get up to go through the motions every single day. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. To those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. There's a, an evangelist. His name is Miles Monroe. Now, he's an evangelist in the Bahamas, so I automatically like him. Right? <laughs> who doesn't want that job? Right? Leadership is the capacity to influence others through inspiration. Motivated by passion. 
generated by vision, produced by a conviction, ignited by a purpose. Ignited by a purpose. You have a purpose. Our mission is to follow God and allow him to fulfill the purpose he has in our life. And it's like any other mission. You get up every single day and say, today is my day to follow God. And let him fulfill the purpose he has in my life. It's not complicated. Nothing that we're saying today is hard. We're going to make a commitment every day. Hey, you know what? It's not Groundhog Day for me. I'm not just living through life and let's see what happens. And if nothing happens, great. I'll eat dinner. I'll watch TV. I'll go to bed. It's a good day. God's like, live each day and start it as if you did on purpose. Amen. Let's not waste the moments. You want people to follow you? You want your kids to follow you? Then lead them with a purpose. Oh, Lead through a life devoted to prayer. Amen. None of these are ranked as far as, but this is, this is a big one for me. Amen. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. You know, when Jesus went into the garden to pray, right, he had the disciples come with him. And he's like, hey, you guys stay here. Stay and watch. And I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to pray to my father. Me and him. I'm about to go through the most difficult thing that anyone's ever going to have to go through in their life. And I'm going to sit with the father, he and I, and I'm going to pray. I think sometimes we have to separate when we pray for people from when we go into our quiet place and we spend time with God. Amen. It's not about grand prayers 
and the same things over and over again. And bless my granny. We lost our dog. But it's about being in the presence of the Lord. Just you and him. And I'm going to talk to you guys something today. Some of you may have heard. Some of you may have not. But you know what? We're going to talk about it anyway. We're going to start talking. When I say pray and when I say be in the presence, listen, we can pray out of our own knowledge and our own understanding. And when we do that, we are limited to our own knowledge and our own understanding. That's just how it is. All right? And I don't know about you, but I am very limited on my own knowledge and my own understanding. (laughs) What I'm talking about is getting in that quiet place and praying through the Holy Spirit. This is important, guys, because this, that quiet time, those Holy Spirit prayers, when we take ourself out of the equation and we pray through the Holy Spirit, that's when things change. We start praying through power that we can't even comprehend. You look at Romans 8, 9 through 11. I'll tell you I'm not just crazy when it comes to this. But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If needed, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you... The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That should get you all kinds of excited. If we believe this, then we believe that the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. That's a level of of understanding and knowledge that we can't even fathom. Did you hear me before when I said we serve a God who lives outside of time? He knows the past, present, and future. Who created the world and everything living in it. The Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. Jude 1, 20 through 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered. With groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit of God makes intercession for us. I heard this guy tell a story, and it's hilarious. Okay, so, I'm sorry. We gotta, I got to tell this. So there's this guy, right? And so he's a pastor at a church, and he's going to teach his daughter how to pray, right? She's like five years old. He's sitting there, and he's like, okay, I'm going to walk with her. I'm going to teach her how to pray. I'm going to show her the things in the different ways. And so on day one, he goes in with his daughter at nighttime, and he says, okay. He's like, just repeat after me. And he starts saying, you know, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for for blah, 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 and please bless so-and-so and be with blah, blah, blah. And she's repeating everything he says. Next day comes in, does the exact same thing. She's repeating everything he says, going through the deal, and he's like, okay, I think, I think she's getting it. <clears throat> so then third day, he's like, I'm going to let her do it by herself. <clears throat> so he goes by the door during the prayer time, and he leans in, and he listens through the door, and he hears his little daughter sitting in there, and she just goes, she's singing her ABCs. A, B, C, D, E. And he's like, huh. He's like, okay. So he walks away. Next day he comes in. He listens to the door at prayer time. And he's sitting there and he's listening. And he hears A, B, C, D. And he's like, what? And he's sitting there and he's thinking, he's like, man, man, I, I, I need to, I might need to tell her, hey, it's not just singing your ABCs, right? Like, <laughs> that's not how you pray. He goes, I hate to, to just squash her, her enthusiasm and, and the fact that she wants to pray, but I got I to do something. So the next day, gives it one more day. Walks by, leans in next to the door. Here he is. A, B, C. And he's like, all right. So he goes in. He's like, hey, listen, I, I like the fact that you're praying, and that's sweet, and I, and I like that. But you know, you got to do more than just say your ABCs. And she looks at him, and she goes, I'm not just singing my ABCs. I'm giving God all the letters, and he's going to work out the prayers. Right? Absolutely believed by faith that she didn't have to understand. She didn't have to know what all the words were. She didn't have to get it. But she was going to give God all the letters, and he was going to work out those prayers. Listen, guys, when we get quiet and alone, and we're in that room and it's just us and God. And we're allowing that Holy Spirit to move. And we're allowing ourselves and our flesh to die. Right? We're dying to the flesh. Less of us, more of him. Right? More of that Holy Spirit. More of his spirit moving in us. That connection, right? That grows, right? So you get more comfortable. More comfortable with, with what the leading of the Holy Spirit looks like what that leading of the Holy Spirit feels like, and what that decision's making through the Holy Spirit, what, what that looks like. When, when you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I've got a decision to make, and you can feel God pressing you to say, hey, you need to move in this direction. You start to understand what that feels like that only comes from that quiet time of saying no to your flesh and saying yes to him. And you start to tap into power that you cannot imagine and you don't even understand it but you're just operating in the Holy Spirit and not on your own flesh and will 
and, it, and it's crazy. Because when you operate through the Holy Spirit and you operate through his power, then in your flesh, that weakness through the Holy Spirit becomes strength. In your flesh, that doubt through the Holy Spirit becomes faith. In your flesh, that defeated through the Holy Spirit becomes victory. In your flesh, that death through the Holy Spirit becomes life. That addiction becomes deliverance through the Holy Spirit. It is of the utmost importance that we get in that quiet time with God and pray and listen and seek and stop relying on our own understanding of what's possible and not possible. Amen. Stop, stop relying on the fact that we've been praying for someone for years and years and years and it hasn't happened because it's just not possible. But through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, all things are possible. Amen. The last thing we're going to look at is leading through relationships. It's another one of those things that I am so good at. If you don't have compassion, you don't really expect compassion, and so you kind of just keep everything bottled up on yourself. At least that's how I have been for a long time. Keeping people at, a, at an arm's length away and not sharing too much. Not letting people in on the mess, right? I don't need the compassion. I don't have compassion. And that is absolutely the way not to live your life. If you want to lead people and you want to have the authority to speak truth into their lives and you want them to give you that authority, they don't just do it because you say so. They do it out of trust which only comes through relationship. Without relationship, why would anyone listen to what you have to say? Why would they know that you care about them? Why would they think that you have their best interest at heart? So who remembers the story of Lazarus? Right? It's a pretty common story. I like this story. So, right, so Lazarus dies. He's having a bad day. Right? And they've been asking Jesus to come, right? How Lazarus is sick. Then he came and he's dead. Well, you kind of missed the boat there, bro. <laughs> it's a little too late. If you look at John 11 11. It says, these things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And the reason I say that verse is because I think it's overly important that you understand that he says, our friend. There's a relationship there. Our friend Lazarus is asleep. 
and I'm going to go wake him up, right? And he goes to the tomb where Lazarus is buried, right? And he says, Lazarus, in case y'all were sleeping, <laughs> come forth. And he comes out of that tomb, alive and well, healed and whole. You know, when I was, I was, I was reading this and I, and I was writing this and I was thinking about this and I was, oddly enough, as I got to this portion and I got to this story, I was listening to some worship music and the song came out about Lazarus coming out of the tomb and I was like, wow. You know, and in my mind, what I pictured was I saw people in tombs, but they weren't dead. They were in tombs of addiction. They were in tombs of depression. They were in tombs of anxiety. They were in tombs of sickness. I saw people entombing themselves in these things. And I saw Jesus standing outside of those tombs. And at the feet of Jesus were people of God who had been praying for the people in the tombs. Praying for their deliverance. Praying for their health. Praying for their victory. And the people in the tombs were shutting themselves off and all they could see was their afflictions. And Jesus was standing out there and he was calling to the people in the tombs and he was calling them by name. And they had shut themselves off to where they couldn't hear. They didn't want to hear. All they could see was that pain, that problem. And you could see the people of God who had a relationship with these people, who had been praying with these people and their faces, they lifted their faces and they had this look of determination. And they stood up and they walked into that tomb with a boldness that only comes from the Lord. And they went to the person who was in the tomb, who was shutting themselves off and they said, got down and looked him in the eye and said, I know that you can't hear it, but Jesus is out there calling your name. Because where you're at right now is not where you're called to be. What you're going through right now does not define who you are. It is not your calling, for you are called by God literally right now. And they stood up together and walked out of that tomb, delivered and free into the presence of Jesus. 
because somebody led through relationship. We are in a church that you have heard a thousand times that you need to be in a circle. Because that's where life happens. And that's where relationship happens. And I'm not going to sit up here and, and tell you a thousand different things and a thousand different reasons why. But when I see the things that, that the people of God are struggling with and embattled with every single day, I personally don't think we can no longer afford to not have relationships with the people of God. We can't. Sunday morning is a, is a wonderful, great experience and I love it. But two hours of our day is not our life. If we're going to be the people and we're going to lead our families the way God has called us to, we have to live life together.